Welcome to Left Foot. We invite fresh conversation on business development. Now here's your host, Nicole Giantonio. Hello, listeners, and welcome to Left Foot. Today, our guest is John Ho, a partner at Bond here in New York City. Welcome, John. Thanks, Nicole, and thanks for having me. John represents management in all aspects of labor and employment law. He has specific experience and is a frequent speaker on wage and hour matters, including federal and state DOL audits. His previous experience includes being a prosecutor with the U.S. Department of Labor. John, I've given our listeners some insight into your role and background. Please expand on what I've said and provide a glimpse into who you are personally. Sure. Um, as you just noted, I think one interesting thing about my experience is my um, my former experience as a DOL prosecutor, which my partners here uh, referred to as the my dark side, if you will. Um, so I've and I, I think one of the things you're going to be hearing me talking about today is how I've transitioned that experience into, I, I think, a, a a successful marketing technique. Um, on the personal side, I have two twin uh, 10-year-old daughters and an eight-year-old son, and I have a five-year-old rescue German shepherd who is reluctantly uh, coexisting now with my 18-year-old Siamese cat. Fantastic. So, John, let's dig in a little bit here. I first want to hear, and of course, knowing your house is a, is a busy one, uh, what personal habits do you have that have made you successful in developing business and, and really keeping your practice moving? Sure. I, you know, I think first and foremost, I'm consider myself a very social person. I, I enjoy getting out there. I enjoy meeting new people. And, you know, I know it's cliche when you're in this space, but, you know, business, successful business development is really about building relationships. And there's a saying that I heard early on in my career, which was it's it's easy to fire your lawyer and, and hard to fire your friend. And that sort of, uh, you know, hit home to me because since I do like people, I do like developing these relationships. And to be blunt, some, you know, some of my clients, I may not be personal friends, but all of them, you know, I try to get out there and see at a, you know, whether it's work or inviting them to a client event and get into some of that social experience where you can hopefully transition yourself from just lawyer to something more than that. And, and if it's friend, great. Um, but we, we all have different kinds of relationships, but I, I think that's probably uh, what jumps to mind at most is I, I really like meeting people and, and hearing their stories. Excellent. Well, that is, that's great. I, I love that quote, you know, that it's hard to fire your friends. And if you can create professional friends, why not? So talk about tactical best practices. Is there something you do uh, on a daily basis or maybe a weekly basis that keeps that activity going? Because, of course, we, we can all get very focused on delivering work product, right? And, and really focusing on the projects in front of us. But what do you do tactically to make sure that that uh, flow of relationships stays active? Sure, Nicole. Um, well, you know, I think I, I'd raise two, you know, quick points here. The first with respect to, you know, I guess getting new clients and new projects from recurring clients, and that's communication, right? And it's it's an, it's obviously intuitive, but, you know, in this day and age with mobile devices, I always find it amazing to hear stories from, you know, you know, usually new clients that come to me and they're coming to me for that reason. Oh, my, my lawyer, I, I've tried to reach for three days or a week and they don't get back to me. And, and that just sort of blows my mind. And when you're dealing with professional services, just 
just letting the client know that you're there, you're accessible, and there's no reason not to be. I, in my practice, I generally make it a goal uh, not to have any phone call go unreturned for more than 24 hours. Um, of course, things will come up that may delay that here and there, but but I think 99% of the time I'm successful at at doing that. And, and that's, you know, again, developing the client side, I think that's very important just to make sure you're always available for them. You know, the other point is, is thanking referral sources. And I, I think we'll probably end up talking about a little bit about my experience with getting referrals from other lawyers across the country. And whenever that does happen, I always make sure to pick up the phone, thank them, you know, send them a little bottle of wine, or next time we're at an ABA conference, take them out to dinner or a drink. I Certainly, I don't think they're doing it, obviously, just for that. They know me, they trust me if we work together. But I think that little kind of you know, recognition and thanks. And I, I love that when I, when I refer a case out, it's always nice to get that kind of appreciation and acknowledgement. So I, I think those are two things that, you know, I, I would mention. How about strategically? I mean, do you sit down on a quarterly basis and look at what's happening from a business development perspective in your practice? Do you do it on a yearly basis and then have checkpoints throughout the year? How do you plan strategically for where you want to take your practice for the coming year? And then, of course, you know, stay on top of it. Sure. Um, it, my, my my managing um, partner here in the New York City office is pretty good about that because he essentially makes us all sit down and draft individual business plans. And, you know, with all the substantive work and the family commitments, I, I know this is time consuming, but I think when you do sort of lay things out in writing, whether it's, you know, I want to speak at three different conferences this year. I want to do this kind of amount of training. I want to introduce myself to this trade organization. The, the written objectives makes it at least more real for me and seeing them. And I and to be blunt, Nicole, I don't I, I don't do it routinely. But once I have that business objective laid out, I will go back and revisit it, maybe on a quarterly basis and just say, oh, you know what? I, I had forgot I had wanted to do this or I wanted to do that um, w- without him sort of prodding me. Maybe I maybe I be, you know, maybe not as good at it, but I but he's he's there and he pushes. And, and I think that's it's helpful to have someone who's you know, tremendously successful out of me looking up to him and saying, you know what, it's work for him. You know, I got to make this work for me. And, and so I, I, you know, I wish I could say it was much more routinely, but I think having that business plan and whenever you can get to it, try to do it as much as you can. And, and like you point out, Nicole, just try to check things off and expand on them. You know, it's interesting because I've had over the years, many opportunities to either ask for business plans from uh, business developers or, you know, be responsible for one myself. And, you know, you know, I, I some I'm somewhat on the fence about them, right? Because they tend to go on the shelf or into the email box at this point. And, you know, do we look at them? So it's good to hear you have, you know, somewhat of a regular checkpoint, whether that's, you know, leadership led or, or you know, a, a memory of your own that you say, let me go back and take a look. Um, but give me a little bit of detail on how that plan has changed. So you've been practicing for uh, a period of time and and definitely we're here practicing in the 2008 period, 2008 to 2012 or so period when things were a little different. You know, has your business plan changed, you know, during that economic change or has it changed most recently because the the legal profession is changing? And you know, really what were those changes? Right. You know, and it's it's a Interesting question to think about. I, to be blunt, I'm, I'm not sure that I've experienced a whole lot of changes driven 
by variations and ups and downs in the legal market. My changes are really more personal in that, you know, I've been a partner at my firm now. I think I'm going into my eighth year, right? So in the beginning, as an associate, you buckle down, you learn the law, you learn the substance. And of course, you're trying to get out there and shake hands and meet people. But there's not a whole lot of emphasis on that. You're trying to develop an expertise. And so the older you get, particularly when you make partners, some of these expectations kick in a little bit more heavily. And so now I'm, you know, hopefully have developed, at least some people would say so, a, you know, a strong expertise in the DOL and the wage and hour area. So where has historically, I may have been really focused on trying to learn the substantive law, get myself writing publications, uh, doing those speaking events, as opposed to now, I think I'm routine part of a number of these conferences. And so my plan has changed more from, you know, still, of course, continuing my education, but but rather now more directly focused on business development because, you know, my my what I do every day, all, all, of course, reinforces the substantive position, but it's less about convincing people I know about the law as opposed to now meeting people with that hopefully in my pocket that, you know, I've been practicing 15 years, a partner for eight, DOL experience, that the, the substantive question of does he know what he's talking about has hopefully been answered. I don't know if that's what you're, uh, you know, looking for, but I, I that's the, I, I guess what I can offer. Fantastic response, and it really leads me to ask another question related to that transition. So we have a lot of listeners who are uh, listening for the the reason that they are now responsible for business development, or they're about to be. Right? They are on the partner track. They they want to get to that stage in their career, and it's not something they've done. They've been focused on developing their expertise, working on working on matters. You know, really being entrenched in in building that knowledge and executing uh, on that knowledge. So. You, you said you were social and not all um, more attorneys are than some of the other folks that we have uh, lis- listening and, and uh, rather professions. You know, attorneys tend to be comfortable, obviously, with the, with language and, and and at least writing, if not speaking. Right. And hopefully both. But how that transition might have been easy for you. How do you coach others who may not be as comfortable with the idea of going out and developing business or, or creating relationships that will result in business? Sure. Yeah. And, and Nicole, of course, I mean, I, now I'm certainly, I, I think very comfortable behind a podium or walking around and speaking and, and, and just, and not probably nearly as much in the beginning. And, and some of this is just, doing it, right? I mean, the more you ride the bike, the better you get at it. And pretty soon you sort of do it without even thinking about it. This is the whole muscle memory kind of concept. But, you know, I, I will say this about business development is there's a lot of ways to do it, right? I mean, you can't just sit on the couch and watch TV, but once you get up and commit yourself to this process, I mean, you can speak. A lot of my colleagues here, well, maybe not a lot, but certainly some may not be as comfortable behind a podium. And so if you look at their bios, they're going to have four or five different law review articles that they offered in the last four years. And, you know, I haven't done that in quite a while because although I, you know, I consider myself a good writer, certainly part of my job, when it comes to marketing, that that's not where I, I choose to expend my effort because I I do enjoy you know getting out there meeting people and shaking hands a little bit more so you I think you have to find your comfort zone and understand who you are but that's no excuse of course not to refine some of these strategies and like I said if it's writing for publications there's a lot of 
you know, venues where you can um, demonstrate your expertise through writing as opposed to speaking. So I think you just have to be honest with yourself. And then because if you're not comfortable doing it, I, I think it's just a short term process and you may eventually give up a little bit easier than than you might otherwise if you sort of like doing it. Um that said, as you, you know, as you point out, I think with lawyers, particularly, you, you know, most of us are going to have to have some comfort level, you know, doing public speaking and that I just say, you know, maybe start in smaller groups, right? I, I, I still, you know, you have a little, you know, not a little, I still get the butterflies when I speak at an, an American Bar Association conference with a hundred lawyers in the room that each, each can call me out, right? If I give the wrong answer as to pull me, right? As opposed to maybe a, a non-lawyer setting um, where it's a very particular topic um, and I'm not going to have as, you know, potentially that kind of detailed legal questioning. So it's, it's graduated. So maybe, you know, that's one thing that I have found work for myself, you know, start with a small gigs if you can get them. And then, you know, as you get comfortable and people get to know you, you get invited to the bigger conferences, the annual ABA conferences that I've spoken at a couple of years now. And although it's still, like I said, a little nervous, I, I think it's much better now than it was before, primarily through that just doing it. So John, I want to give you uh, the floor to talk about a success story and, and a, a story where you were out developing business and, you know, possibly it was surprising to you that you were successful or one that just was exceptional from an experience perspective. Sure. Uh, you well, thanks for the opportunity to call. I, funny enough, this, this literally just happened to me last week. So at least the result of it, um, you know, one of the things that I always encourage young lawyers to do at an early age is to develop an expertise in a particular subject matter. So as you as you know, I'm a labor and appointment lawyer, but with my DOL background, I've done a lot of work both prosecuting and defending wage and hour claims and DOL audits. And that's very specific within a very broader spectrum of labor and employment law. And, and so I say to, you know, young lawyers, look, make yourself known for one topic, you know, one or two very finite topics and speak about them, go out, write about them, do whatever you can, internal marketing. So everybody knows, oh, they've got a wage and hour question. I got to, I'm going to go to John Ho. So I've been, you know, I've been trying to do that. I think, you know, relatively successfully for 15 or so years. And about two years ago, I get a random email from a lawyer here in, uh, in Westchester asking me if he could, he, he tells me that he was just retained to represent a restaurant for some wage and hour violations. He hasn't done a whole lot of this work, but it looks small enough where he thinks he's capable of taking it. Could I, could I share some sample, you know, discovery documents with him? So, and so I say, sure. And I'm thinking, okay, maybe he was referred to me through one of my ABA connections, maybe a client. So through email, I ask him, you know, here you go. You know, if you, you know, if you tell me the kind of case, maybe I can give you something a little bit more specific. Oh, by the way, who you refer, who did, who referred you to me? He said, you know what? Nobody did. He's like, I, I actually ran a Google search for lawyers that do wage and hour defense and your name picked up. And I think that's a product of the fact that I do speak at so many conferences on wage and hour topics that I, I'm not, you know, I'm certainly not that techie, but my name sort of rises to the top when you do some of these searches. And I say, oh, that's that's great. And be part of the ABA. I'm a firm believer in the civility of the bar. So I happily shared redacted documents with him. And, you know, and going back to one of our initial points, he, next time he was in the city, him and his partner came in and took me out and said, wow, John, thanks for doing that. We had sent out five emails and you're the only one that responded. I said, oh, that, that that's no problem. Good luck, guys. Feel free to call me. And we've maintained, you know, uh, uh, sporadically have a quick question here and there. I have no problems helping out. Just last week, um, 
you know, this attorney calls me and he had a conflict with a case that same a big restaurant here in New York City that's getting sued for wage and hour violations and he needs co-counsel. And so I just met with a client. We just got an engagement letter, you know, signed and it may be a very significant piece of business. And and, and I think that is a that is a story that just materialized and one that you know, I'm, I'm proud of because there's no obligation for me. I didn't know this guy, but you know what? It's building relationships. It's it's a reflection on the expertise that I've developed um, and it's led you know, it's led to work and you do these things. And if, you know, sometimes you could speak at a hundred conferences and not get a single client. It's sometimes like this, something random sort of happens, but I, that's the very timely success story that I, that I share with you, Nicole. A great opportunity to transition into this next question, which I think in with someone like yourself, who is in a particular specialty uh, and has, you know, established uh, yourself as having expertise in a particular area. Um, I'm quite interested to to hear your response. So legal services, artificial intelligence, uh, using technology to do uh, research. What in your particular space, and I I do understand that you're somewhat um, subject to uh, legal law changes and and different... um, uh, statements being made about how the law should be interpreted, but have you seen innovation in your practice at all, or is it something that hasn't quite reached a, a specialty area? My firm here is very good about understanding what the new technology is, particularly as these class actions have exploded over you know the last ten years. Just the, the the amount of data that we have to deal with as as lawyers these days, you just can't compare. I mean, I graduated law school in 1998. I still remember Nicole going on vacation and having to have a you know files uh, overnighted to me, right? Uh, and so I can go through them the next day, which was both good and it's bad, right? Because it, you know then you know the client knows. That that I can't get to her for at least that 24 hours, right? There's no excuse. But now, you know, there's, there's, that's just, that's not a good excuse because they can email you this stuff and you should be able to print it. You've got all the handheld devices and, and, you know, we talked about this, you know, a little bit before, but that's why I think communication is so key. So I, I certainly think that the, the technology has, you know, affected the practice and, and, you know, you know, for the best, right? I mean, there, of course, there are some downsides. I'm not the most IT gifted person, um, you know, even as you know, setting up this podcast, I had to call my IT folks and right get a microphone and do all all the kind of stuff. But but of course, I mean, I you know, in you know, you and I having this conversation is an example of that, right? Um, where we can you know be situated in separate space, have a good discussion, and this could be a client meeting. It it could be something like this. It could be a webinar. I've done a lot of the webinars. So, you know, that the technology helps it and it to be blunt, it, it makes it it gives you less excuse not to go out there and do those things. Because those people who say to me, Oh, you know, I've I, between all the work that I have, how do you get out there and, you know, find your time to, you know, to 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 network? I say do a webinar. You don't have to leave your office. You talk into your computer. You talk about a subject matter you know. Your IT folks are the ones that send all the invites, and you've 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 utilized no travel time, very minimal expenses. We just did um, uh, um, the firm did, and I presented it with one of my partners, Upstate, a, a webinar on the new coming up DOL proposed overtime rules, and we had uh, close to eight hundred. Uh, registrations and about close to 700 people actually attend. I mean, where can you reach that kind of 
audience that quickly. We prepared literally in two weeks. We used materials that we did for a live seminar, converted them easily, reached that kind of audience and did it all within two hours, right? So I mean, I, I don't think the legal profession is any different than, you know, any other professional service and to that extent. But I think that is, uh, you know, a, a good example of, of why technology has you know, given us less excuses to go out there and, and do those kinds of things. Excellent. I, and I have to say, I was quite pleased to see that Bond has a YouTube channel and it is healthy. I think there's 25 items out there on the YouTube channel, which is not typical of the law firms that I research and talk to. So I think, uh, you know, congratulations to Bond <laughs> for seeing that as, you know, a mechanism to uh, support the work you're doing. And then, of course, for business development. And it's a great lead into uh, another question about uh, business development and opportunity cost. So having been in business development, you know, the majority of my career in professional services for a good portion of that, you know, there were times when I felt my efforts, whether I was traveling to some client, prospective client's site, or when I was going to a conference where I, it just didn't turn out, right? So there was opportunity cost. It did not result in, in business or uh, did not result in the uh, potential of new business. And there really, I could have been working on other things. So it was true opportunity cost. How do you or how, do you, how does your firm or your practice or you specifically, how do you look at opportunity costs and really you know, make those judgments? Is it somewhat formal? Is there a checklist you use before you agree to go out and participate in an event or agree to fly to make a client visit? How do you make those judgments? Sure, Nicole. So, you know, I, you know maybe I could just start with it just a... Um, a short thought that I think would lead into a more complete answer. And that is, you know, I think lawyers are, you know, for whatever reason, traditionally we've been creatures of habit, right? It's tough for lawyers because we have all these concepts in the law, like stare decisis and precedent and, you know, cases that came down a hundred years ago have to be maintained, you know, until this is a really good reason to change them. And we're built on this occupation of tradition. And, and I think that is, it demonstrates itself historically um, in business development because I, I think if you looked at lawyers even 10 years ago, it, it, you just were expected once you made partner or became senior to go out there and, and develop business. Nobody would spend money training you, talking to you about how to do that, providing with tools. It was just an expectation. It's sort of old school. It's like, you're a partner here. Go out and get business. I think as the legal market gets much more competitive um, – you know, a lot of law firms, and I think mine has done a good job of, of putting its, you know, putting its um, the money where its mouth is, right? Where they've actually realized you, it's not fair because lawyers aren't trained with this kind of stuff in law school. Um, and many of it, it's, it's new to, and it's uncomfortable. And so we've started actually this thing called the Rainmaking Academy uh, just last year, where there's a certain set of criteria. We hired an expert like yourself, who is very specific in business development for law firms, you know, come in. And I think there are, there are about 10 of us in this group that were, there's some criteria you had to be out a certain number of years and had to have shown at least a, you know, an acumen to, to do this stuff well, where, you know, the expert came in and talked to each of us individually, talked about our business plans, developed business plans, and, and really helped us streamline and, you know, give us the tools necessary to succeed at business development, where I, I think 
10 years ago that's that you know at least in my opinion or in my experience was very unusual so you know, I think my firm is good about doing that um, and they do they spend some money and they recognize that the, you can get, achieve some benefits by bringing in experts and talking about those things so with that background you know I you know to the cost development side I've never been pushed back you know by my firm and I don't have a regimented I don't have a, a checklist I don't I'm not on a, a certain budget I mean as a partner of the firm of course every nickel that I spend marketing or every nickel that my partner spends marketing, of course, is, you know, is a nickel that comes out of the combined pot at the end of the year. So I think we all recognize that as equity partners that we need to, you know, be realistic about it. But I can tell you, Nicole, every time I have a law school or even a college, uh, you know, uh, classmate that I'm friends with leave jobs. I always make it a point to go out and take them out for drinks or dinner. And it's a legitimate expense because that's a very easy way to develop new business. Somebody that knows you, you already have a relationship with. If I haven't done business with that client before, I'm going to have an internal spokesman, you know, infiltrated, maybe the wrong word, but in there, you know, and if the need comes up, they're being able to pitch me as the person to do that work. And my firm is very good about allowing me or not, not again, not pushing back on any of those kinds of expenses. And, and, you know, the reality is you, you know, you could speak at 10 conferences and not get a single piece of business. And that guy in the, you know, this lawyer, you don't know on Google finds you, right? I mean, you just don't know. And I, I think the, the firm is understanding of that, you know, of course, you know, I, I also have a history of being involved in the ABA writing before I was speaking. So it's a demonstrated commitment to the process. And I think once any business sees that, that you know, this, you're not treating this as a, a free dinner or a free vacation, you know, to Puerto Rico, but, but the, in fact, there is real value and it's produced value, whether it produces it next year more greater than last year, We'll see, but it also promotes the firm's name. So I, it really is, at least for me, um, a very, you know, look yourself in the mirror. Is this, you know, how legitimate is this? You know, what is, you know, there's some cost benefit analysis, but it's very fact sensitive. And, and, and I'm, you know, again, thankfully not regimented to very strict protocols that I need to follow. Fantastic. And and I have to say what's so clear from our discussion today is that you do spend the time, John, to develop and keep your relationships and, and keep them healthy and close. And that, you know, I think is a great, um, piece of counsel to others, right? Who want to have a flow of business and, and probably not done in a way that's not pleasant, right? So if you're out talking to people, you know, and talking to them about their experience or listening to their experience, you know, how fantastic if that, you know, can often lead to, to business. So, Many of our listeners, uh, because it's our audience for podcasting, many of our listeners are millennial, mobile, and global. Do you have any specific advice you would give to you know a counterpart, uh, a lawyer who's you know eight years uh, prior to where you are in your business and starting out and developing their book of business, their set of clients as they transition into being a partner? Sure. Um- you know, business development is not a one size fits all situation. I mean, as we talked about, you have to go out there and you've got to do it. You know, how you do it, what's going to be effective for you. You've, you know, we have to figure out. And of course, that's the million dollar question. I, you know, the advice that I would give people that are just really starting to, you know, this is a, a concern for them. This is something they want to do is you got to just take a realistic assessment of, of where you are, right? Because some of the things you heard from me, I'm at a, I'm at a mid-sized firm with 200 
hundred lawyers. I'm a labor and employment person, but I'm in a general practice firm where, you know, the primarily most of our clients are in New York, right? I, I, we have clients that have operations in California and Texas and then and across the country. But to be blunt, usually if the litigation comes with those clients out there, since we don't have offices, it's in the better, it's in the client's interest to refer them out. So when I go to these ABA conferences, at least initially, because I've been going long enough where, you know, my initial plan has changed a little bit, I would try to I say to myself, okay, where I want to get to know the person to make sure that their substantive law is where it needs to be, that I can, you know, trust the person with the client and this is in the client's best interest. You know, but at the same time, okay, I'm a New York regional firm, right? I can't, I can refer business out to California, to Florida. And so here's a mid-sized firm in Florida, and here's a partner at the firm, and they may be my age, they, you know, what whatever it may be, we're gonna share certain similarities. And to go up and, and specifically introduce myself to those those individuals that may benefit from this kind of symbiotic relationship. Um, And that may not be the same marketing strategy as a two attorney firm in Long Island that only does closings, right? Or that McLaw firm with 35 offices across the country where they're really in no ability to refer, you know, work out, right? So I I think you got to just make sure that you've got your arms around, you know, who you are and what you, what you can offer others and what you need in return. And that's going to you know, depend on what you do, the size of your firm, um, uh, issues like that, and how comfortable you are getting out there and speaking at conferences. So I, I think once you assess yourself and then you can sort of see where it would be a good fit, right? Where somebody from, you know, if you do a lot of business, if you're based in Japan and you do a lot of business in the United States, it may make sense to have that relationship and sort of seek out an organization or somebody that would be in that position to have that same kind of, you know, ability to, you know, reciprocity to, to, to share those, you know, um, you know, positive networking experiences, you know, with you and develop the relationship. Excellent. Well, really appreciate that. And, and John, it's been a pleasure having you as a guest on Left Foot. Before we say goodbye, is there anything else you'd like to share about business development or your journey? You know, it's just that it, it, we've talked about Nicole and you, and you, you know, and, it, and you know this, right? I mean, it does. I mean, I get it. I get the fact that this stuff takes time and it doesn't happen overnight and it can be frustrating at times. You know, you speak at, you know, three conferences and you have, you know, no new clients to show for it. But, you know, at the end of the day, it does pay off. You never know where it comes from or how it's going to come. But if, but, and it does take time away from families and cats and dogs and your substantive work, but, but it's part of your career. And if you're going to take your career seriously and put all that investment into, particularly for lawyers, going to law school, trying to make partner, then making partner, this is a big component of it. And, you know, they don't teach you this stuff in law school, but it's business sort of 101. I mean, they probably should. Um, And like I said, traditionally, law firms haven't really emphasized or provided lawyers with tools like this. So often you're going to be on your own. But, But if you stick with it, um, I can assure you that you may, you may not happen overnight, but you will develop a name and, and you can be very good at this if you just get out and as you so succinctly put it, just do it. But And thank you very much, Nicole, for, for having me. The pleasure was all mine. Fantastic, John. Thank you for being a guest on Left Foot. It's been a fantastic interview. Thank you for listening to this episode of Left Foot. Be sure to visit www.leftfoot.net to access show notes, sign up for our weekday series, and embrace what it means to lead with the left foot.